Hi there, and welcome to the fifth episode of One Thing Led to Another. I am going to start off by apologizing for how long it took for this episode to come out. I know I told you all I wanted it to be bi-weekly, and then a bunch of, uh, let's call it changes in my life happened. Um, I got married, and it turns out that wedding planning uh, consumes your life a little bit. And then I moved back to school in order to finish up there with my last semester. So a lot of changes happened, but I did... I am getting this episode out. Um, I think episode six will be coming out in that regular time format now that I'm a bit more settled into all the big changes, so that's exciting. But for this episode, we have an awesome guest for you today. We have Jesse Chandler, who is an American author of mystery and humorous caper fiction. Uh, most of her books contain a lesbian protagonist, uh, so her work includes Bingo Barge Murder, uh, Hide and Snake Murder, as well as Pickle in the Middle Murder, and she's also written a more serious book under the name Operation Stop Hate, but she is a mystery writer, which is going to be a nice change from the habit I got myself into by having uh, science fiction fantasy writers. She offers some really interesting insights um, into the publishing industry since she has been published through traditional means as well as a self-published author. She is a, or at least was, a Wisconsinite, a fellow Wisconsinite with myself, so we had that in common. She now lives in St. Paul slash Minneapolis, in the Twin City area of uh, Minnesota. Um, I'm not going to take any more time here from uh, Jesse. Her interview was incredibly interesting. Helped me as a writer and uh, will hopefully help some of you. We just passed 100 total downloads, um, hopefully well on our way to 200, and then we'll see where it goes from there. Uh, I've been having fun. Hopefully you've all, hopefully you've all been having fun along the way. Uh, spread the word if you can. I'm certainly not going to pay to have this advertised. Don't have those kind of dollars. Um... But this is the interview with Jesse Chandler. Stay tuned for episode six. That should be coming out relatively quickly. And try to find us on Spotify since we're now at that five-episode limit. Again, if you have suggestions, reach out to me on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, or at noafinko.net. You can also view some of my other projects there. I should have another short story up there relatively soon. I'm also planning on doing a serialization of my first novel based on... Um, what some advice I got from other authors are. So we'll see how that goes. But thanks again so much for listening. This is Jesse Chandler. Hi, Jesse. How are you doing? This is Noah speaking. Good, Noah. I'm just fine. How are you? Great. Thanks for joining me in this interview today. So to start off, can you give a little bit of a background about who you are, um, how you came to be in this career, and how you became a good storyteller? All right. Well, my name is Jesse Chandler, and I am the author of the Shale Hanlon Caper series. Uh, it is a humorous mystery series, kind of along the lines of a combination of Janet Ivanovich, Clive Kessler, and Scooby-Doo. Great. So then what made you decide to go with this particular genre when you decided to become a writer? Uh, well, mysteries in general, my mom was a librarian and, uh, in, in elementary school, and so I was surrounded by books, especially mysteries. Um, I'm not sure if she just thought I would like them or what, but I did. And so you got your encyclopedia and your 
Peter Jones and the three investigators and Nancy Drew and the Hardy Boys, and that kind of sucked me in that direction. And uh, later on down the line, I, Jenna Devonovich came on the team, which I'm, I'm pretty sure a lot of the people have heard of, and she uh, made me laugh a lot. I've been through enough in my life to know that life can be very difficult. And when you can take a moment or two and really laugh about something, uh, take you out of your day for just a little while, it's a, it's magic. And so when I started writing, I thought, you know what, that's what I want to do. I want to try and do that for people. So most of your books have had the same main character now, and I was wondering how you went about not only creating her, but also keeping her as a dynamic character throughout the books. Well, uh, she came about because I had run into an online website called National Model Writing Month, NanoRival. And uh, one of the things, what the idea of NanoRival National Model Writing Month is, is you try to write 50,000 words of a novel in a month. And I thought, that has a clear start date and a clear end date, maybe I can do something with it. So uh, on the website, there was a lot of different little uh, conversation threads and, and suggestion-type threads. And one of them was, sit down and list out the things that you like in what books you like to read. Because what you like to read, what makes you feel good, what, what moves you, is what's going to move you to keep writing. And so I listed out, I liked um, a feisty main character. I liked uh, elderly people. I liked animals, uh, all of them. And um, as I kind of followed that list, I knew I wanted to set it where, in a location I was familiar with. And so that became a town in Minneapolis, uh, Minnesota. And um, I just started populating the idea of a book with people I wanted to be around. And hmm. Shay was the one, the main, my main character was one that I really don't feel like I got to know very well until probably the fourth or fifth book. So I'm curious about how you approach the comedic elements in your writing because in our day-to-day lives, what we find funnier is, is those like short, tiny quips that that quick wit is what we value. How do you replicate that in writing, which is a long, slow, laborious process? <laughs> That's a good question. Sometimes I'm not really sure. Um, I, I've never really considered myself to be a really funny person. Uh, but somehow when I get my characters into crazy situations, things happen and they're funny. I'm currently working on a book that is not part of the show series, and it's much more serious, but mm-hmm. a lot, lot deeper. And I find myself in different uh, scenes and and things that are going on where I could really turn that on its ear and get really yeah, I have to pull back from doing that. Um, I think humor can be really difficult, and. Uh, I feel like I'm, I'm very lucky in that um, I'm able to take some of those situations and turn them into something funny. If you try too hard on something, it doesn't come off. So when you're putting your characters in these crazy, strange situations, is there a line that you've drawn for yourself when, like, maybe you put them in a situation that is just so crazy it seems almost unbelievable, even in this, you know, caper mystery genre? <laughs> um. Yeah, there's 
uh, certain lines that I won't cross. Um, I don't think it's funny to uh, funny to hurt kids. I don't think it's funny to hurt animals. Um, there's a certain amount of suspension of disbelief that you have to go into reading my books that you need to have. Um, but there are definite lines that uh, I won't cross. And it's, I've got a friend who writes comedy as well, and he'll go further than I will with different things. Where I'm not comfortable, I'm like, that's ah, just a little bit too much. So um, I try to keep keep it within my own realm of comfort, and I hope that the people who are reading it uh, don't find that to be too much. I really like what you said about um, going into your books with just like a certain understanding of the craziness that's about to ensue, because it makes me wonder how you go about marketing a book like yours and to make people understand that they're not going to be reading the next Agatha Christie novel. They're going to be reading something pretty different from that. I was a bookstore at Borders Books for many years. One of the things that I would do um, would be to grab a Janet Ivanovich book and flip it to one of my favorite funny scenes, and I'd read it out loud with the customers. And I sold a number of books that way. But when I can get to laughing out loud from reading something, I get customers to laugh. That is a connection that I think served me well as I moved into writing my own stuff. Um, you know, I, I try to keep things, um, when it comes to the book, and uh, pretty pretty light and pretty uh, easygoing. One thing when, you know, something is super serious, you need to match that. But kind of the way I present myself is absolutely very serious. So I think that helps. Can you take me through your novel writing process from the point of conception for a new idea? What does that look like? Is that like a singular momentary idea or is do you just have these long elaborate stories in your head? And then from that, how do you turn that idea into an entire novel? Yeah, that's <laughs> that's always a good question. I have a number of really good friends, other author friends, that I sit down and I do a lot of brainstorming with. I might come to and so we do a little, you know, throwing things back and forth, ideas. It begins with, with just a, a small idea, and then it kind of goes from there. Uh, once I kind of have a pretty good idea of where I'm going, I do like to sit down, and I'll call it outline, but it's more than kind of putting down plot points, you know, one piece of the plot to another. And... So when I sit down to actually write the book, I have a fairly good idea of where I'm going with um, I have, I know where it begins, I know how it ends, I have uh, stops during the story, and then I can veer off that path anytime I want to, to add different things or change up things or whatever. But I've got a, a path that will bring me to the end. And I'm one of those things, if I didn't have that, I might not ever finish. Since you are an outliner, how do you do that? How do you set those plot points without experiencing like paralysis by analysis since the that's like the path you said that led you to the end? Luckily, the way I write by kind of getting down an outline is that very rarely do I bump up against uh, to write the book and then another couple of months to edit. Uh, and get the beta readers and, and get it back before I actually turn it into the publisher. 
where it goes through all of their own editing process. So um, luckily that's, you know, the, the block stuff doesn't really usually apply on my end of things. Let's now shift the conversation to one about audience, because I think you're in an interesting circumstance where your novels are extremely popular with those in the LGBTQ plus community. And I was wondering how you go about writing a series of novels with them in mind. Do you, as you're writing it, do you think like, oh, is the audience going to like this? Or do you write in the sense of, um, I enjoy this and hopefully the audience will too? That That's a great question. Um, I started writing for myself because I'd read a series of books that ended. And for people who read it, uh, mystery series or any other kind of genre that's got it attached to it, you become attached to characters. And this particular series ended and I was pissed. And I thought, you know, if if I can write my own stuff, it doesn't have to end unless I want it to end. So when I began writing, I began writing. It wasn't doing published. I was just doing it for the fun of it. And one of the characters is the uh, mystery writer here in the Twin Cities, and she took me under her wing, and she said, "Yes, you know, I'm a lesbian writing with the lesbian main character, but she's published in the mainstream, as opposed to being more of the in the the LGBT um, funnel or the area of people." And she said, "I'd really like to see another lesbian main character in the mainstream." And I said, "My thing isn't good enough for that." And she said, "Yeah, I think it is." So I wound up. Um, querying some places, and, and one of those places was Midnight, Inc., which is actually in Woodbury, Minnesota. It's a suburb of St. Paul, actually. And she, they, when when uh, Terry Bischoff received my query letter, I mentioned Ellen Hart suggested I contact them. And she thought I was just throwing Ellen Hart's name around. And so she knew Ellen and called her on the phone and said, you know, I've got this person who sent me this query. They, she, she's using your name, you know, blah, blah, blah. And Ellen Hart said, yeah. You know, I think she's the real thing, and I sent her your way. So that was pretty cool. And um, I wound up with a three-book contract, and that was with a mainstream publisher. And my biggest concern at that time was that uh, the publisher was going to ask me to change shape from being a lesbian to being a, a straight character. And I wasn't willing to do that. And luckily enough, it turned out that they didn't care, and they were willing to take the chance. And I wound up with a four-book uh, contract eventually out of that. So with Minute Inc., she carried on for four books. But writing is a business, and especially with the mainstream crowd, it's it, it's all about numbers, and it boils down to what your sales are. And my sales were not up to whatever their level whatever level it is that they consider to be enough, and they actually can figure it after fourth book. So I was lucky to find a, a lesbian books out of Florida, and we're continuing it through there, and they're doing what they can to market not only to the LGBT audience, but also to the mainstream. And that's one thing that Midnight Inc. could not do was cross over and really hit up the LGBT crowd. Um, they just wouldn't do it. So right now, anyway, I'm kind of kind of bridging the gap between both um, to some degree. On that note, could you kind of take me through how your book Operation Stop Hate came to be, since that book has a much more serious tone than your other couple of books? 
Well, okay. So uh, initially when I first started writing, I wrote two books that I didn't figure would ever see the light of day. One was called Operation Rose Cellar and the other was called Operation Stop Hate. And I put them away. The third book actually is the first book in the Shea series, Bingo Barge Murder. Um, I, when I first started writing, I had no idea what I was doing. And through those first two books, I learned a lot. I began taking classes and getting some instruction and technical information and a lot of help that way. And that's why I think the third book um, hit was because I really applied what I'd learned through the first two books. So after the fourth book, uh, When Midnight Inc. dumped the series, I was a little bit at a loss. I didn't know what to do at that point. And I wanted to try uh, – well, let me back that up. A, a writer who is working for royalties typically isn't going to make much money. Um, it's – very few writers are supporting themselves with their writing. Uh, you get in, you know, to that top 10%, let's say, and you've got – some of the big boys and big girls up there who are, but generally for the the mid the mid list author kind of like I am, uh, you're also probably working another job or you have other people around you who are helping support you through it, and that's right now where I'm at. I've got some really good people around me helping, and I'm also doing some other things uh, with a couple of other businesses that I have on my own, um, and so. Um, so after the, the series ended at that point, I thought, you know, I, I wonder if I can make some money self-publishing. So I pulled out Operation Stop Hate because it was the second one as opposed to the first, which is really a mess. And I spent a year and a half going through it and, uh, re-editing it, re-designing uh, the whole thing, um, paying editors to come in and, and, work on it with me, uh, paid for a cover, and kind of put it all together. And I just wanted to see what would happen. And I put it up and uh, after about a year and a half. And I made back pretty much what I put into it, but I was not making a lot of money. And I also learned that, you know, I write because it's fun. And I, I'm not – the business end of writing is not something I want to be involved with. So – uh, that's how Operation Stop Hate wound up being published. And the the subject matter is much darker. The first two books that I wrote were quite a bit darker than my Shea series and not particularly humorous at all. Um, the premise of Operation Stop Hate involves a school shooting and a uh, hate group who's using music as a way to try and lure kids into their group. And the investigation into the hate group is what really the story is about. And the overarching theme is that family isn't always blood. So there's uh -huh. a lot of themes in there that I never really had, a, you know, gone that way or went to with my Shea series. So it is very different. Now that you mentioned theme, I think that's actually a really good segue into my next question, which is when you're going through this novel writing process and you have an idea for, say, a theme or a general morale of the story, how do you make sure it's not too on the nose? <laughs> that's a good question because, you know, when I set out to write the two operation books, I was, I obviously had heard of theme and heard of these different, you know, concepts with writing and, and creating uh, stories, but they weren't something that I really took to heart 
um, it really came organically that the Operation Stop Hate, the, the overarching theme became that the family isn't always blood. Um, and so that was just something that happened for me. And I don't tend to spend a lot of time thinking about what the theme of the book is going to be. I just go for the story. Um, but there are many people I know that really um, focus on that and, and use that as the 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 base or you know the 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 main uh, concept, and that's what they work through the story, keeping that in mind. And I admire them. <laughs> so now that you're a coach and a mentor when it comes to writing, what are the main things that you focus on when mentoring or teaching a new young aspiring writer? Well, first of all, the biggest thing in my in my modest opinion is that you have to write what your heart is telling you to write. If you're going to sit down and try and write the next great American novel or the next great American mystery and and you see that um, vampires are popular and you're going to put those in your book, that's not going to work. Whatever you come up with needs to come from within you and it needs to be something that that you own, you buy into that, it is your story. Um, that is the one of the first things. And the second thing is um, I can't stress more how important editing is, how important editing uh, your book is in going to somebody you don't know and having them go through your work. Um, it's really easy to give it to a friend. Oh, yeah, I'm an English major, blah, blah, blah. The, the problem, there's a couple problems with that, but one of the biggest ones is if they aren't book people, like in the, in the, the book-making world, let's say, um, they may not understand, you know, how you're supposed to have certain plot points and certain red herrings and certain this and certain that. So that whole thing can be missed. Um, and then also just general editing, um, good grammar, good sentence structure, understanding how dialogue should work and how it should not work. The basics are what I didn't know at first. And by taking classes, at, we have a place in Minneapolis called The Loft, and it's classes taught by other authors. And without that, I certainly would not be where I, where I landed and where I am now because I did not know what I did not know until somebody had to tell me it. So editing is probably the number one, well, number two maybe, uh, <laughs> important thing when it comes to trying to, to write. Um, so many people will try and turn in a book or, or they, they put it up on Amazon, let's say, you know, without any editing. And it looks, it's terrible. The writing is awful. The the story doesn't make sense, that kind of thing. And it really um, gives a bad name to a lot of, especially uh, independent authors, the ones who are putting up their own work. So edit the hell out of it. That's my, my thing. <laughs> so as you're writing a book and, you know, putting it in front of other people, how do you deal with the anxieties of presenting not only your work but your unfinished work because a lot of us get into writing because we love reading and we spend all of our time reading these finished finely tuned works 
And how do you cope with those feelings and keep yourself mentally sound as you're going through this process? That can be really hard, you know. It doesn't matter, I don't think, how many books a person writes. Um, You start that next book and it's a blank screen and there's a lot of trepidation and a lot of worry and a lot of, oh, my God, is this good enough? Does it make sense? Um, And that's hard. That's something that you do have to work through and you just have to keep going. And uh, I think that can be one of the touch points where either a writer is going to actually be a writer or they're going to try writing and decide, no, you know what, this isn't something that's for me. Um, it's it's pushing through that and uh, workshopping your stories with others, getting some feedback that way. And it can be really scary to do that because – you know, you don't know what people are going to think. You don't know what they're going to say. But if you can find folks around you that you trust and um, that you think would be willing to give you honest feedback, that's probably the, the best way to go about doing something like that. But, yeah, it's, it's scary no matter, no matter where you are in your career. So I think that's going to bring me to my final question. Actually, my final two questions. The first one being is, what is next for Jesse Chandler as a writer? And then the second question is, if you could leave, if you could leave our listeners with one thing, one thing about how to become a better storyteller, whether that's through writing or at the dinner table, uh, what would that be? Well, let's see. If I were to tell somebody just in general about storytelling, is pull in the five senses what things Mm. smell like, what they look like, what they feel like, what they sound like. And by doing that, you bring the story to life. And as you're telling your story, the people might smell the chocolate chip cookies baking in the oven, or they might hear the whistle of the train as it goes by the house, um, as the cookies are baking, um, that kind of thing. It gives them a real sense of place and a real sense of feeling about the story. So use those senses. That would be that. And coming up next, I've got a book that I've been working on for almost uh, two years now that I'm, I'm, uh, I pulled it. It was actually uh, set to be, um, published this fall and I pulled it and I'm rearranging it again. Hoping to have it done by this spring. We'll see. And that is, um, uh, a book about an art thief, uh, a person who winds up becoming uh, a thief who steals back art that's been looted or stolen from other people and returning it to the rightful owner. Mm-hmm. So that's that's what that story is. And uh, after that, uh, I've got the sixth Shea book, which is going to be called Shanghai Murder. It's all outlined and ready to go. It's It's just waiting for me to sit down and start writing. So that'll come after that. And that will do it with our interview with Jessie Chandler. Um, she had some wonderfully insightful things to say, particularly of the mystery, of the caper mystery genre. Um, I was happy to get in an author that wasn't under that science fiction fantasy umbrella. So we're definitely looking to get more guests uh, like her that are from different genres and different types of books. But um, again, a huge thank you to her. Best of luck on her next projects. Um, check back every so often to see when we have episode six. I don't quite know who the author for that is going to be just yet um got a couple in the works but now that i am back at school and happily married my time is a little bit of the essence currently so um these might be coming out less frequent as you could 
probably already tell with when episode five here came out but hopefully look for us on spotify since we've now met that five episode limit uh thanks again so much for listening and remember that if you are writing a novel get that in front of unfamiliar faces unfamiliar eyes and a new set of eyes somebody perhaps in the book industry i think that was a definitely a good lesson that uh, jesse left us with but either way uh do remember that storytelling is best done together thank you so much for listening and take care